Welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where today we will be discussing The Perils of the Perfect Ashler, an article by Worshipful Brother Robert E. Jackson. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Today on the Working Tools Podcast, we have all four of our, our usual cast of hosts. We have Worshipful Brother Stephen Chung from Prince Charles Lodge Number 153 in Kelowna, British Columbia. Worshipful Brother Jared Dunham of Penticton Lodge 147 in Penticton, British Columbia. Very Worshipful Brother David Colbeth of King Solomon Number 60 in Auburn, Washington. And I'm Very Worshipful Brother Matthew Apple uh, from Mill Creek Number 243. And we meet in Montlake Terrace, Washington. Uh, we are continuing our series here on the, where we're each sort of choosing an article and discussing it as a group. And, uh, it was my turn. So I chose the, an article from the Midnight Freemasons website called the Perils of the Perfect Ashler. It was written by, uh, one of their contributors, Worshipful Brother Robert E. Jackson, who I should add, we, I emailed back and forth with, and he said it was cool to, to use his article on the show and to, to link to it and stuff. So there will be links in the show notes. But um, it's a little different than the other articles that we'd we'd sort of talked about. I it was a little less Masonic and a little more lifey, if that makes sense. It, it seemed to be more things about life and uh, some of the obstacles we encounter, and I I sort of thought that was interesting as a I don't know a little different flavor on what we've talked about. Um, Steve, you looked like you were about to say something there. Sorry. It, it was interesting. It was it was more about the fellow's journey himself and, and the things in, that he uh, uh, experienced in in his journey to find himself the perfect Ashler. Um, it was a bit uh, at, at the beginning of it. I was a little. I stepped back a bit and reread it again, and it was like, poor guy's got some low self esteem issues. Right. And that he's looking for that level of perfection in himself that, you know, is rare to find. Right. And he was seemingly quite hard on himself. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was it was a very interesting journey to, to hear his journey, because, you know, it, it takes you through a whole bunch of. Uh, things that, that happen, um, you know, his his need to be better, you know, for himself, his family, and his brothers, he says, uh, uh, or his wife, his kids, they deserve to better him, right? And that's that was his mindset. And it was like, well, at first I was thinking, well, okay, he's on a journey to, to enlightenment and whatnot, and, and maybe that's, you know, kind of where that was stemming from but then it seemed he was criticizing himself for making mistakes along the way and but then he felt that those mistakes um were what was supposed to make him or, or perfect him i guess you know um yeah that's kind of where it started for me i mean we, we'll go through it as it goes but 
uh, it was interesting that he made note of the law of attraction and, and whatnot. So he acknowledged these things, knowing how they work, obviously, yet he was still bringing it on to himself um, with those negative thoughts, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, he talks about the, the differences between self-loathing and, and having a pity party for, your, for yourself. And I'd like to think that I don't necessarily personally uh, quite go as far as self-loathing, but man, I saw myself in a lot of the things that he talks about. You're <clears throat> taking on a lot of projects and then having trouble starting them because you have trouble seeing where they're, how they're going to be great in the end. And then, uh, and just the whole, like I said, several different aspects of this went, I can see me do it. You know, I can see myself in that. And it was, like I said, it just sort of spoke to me. Um, do you, do the rest of y'all have a thought on this or is it just me wandering around in the wilderness here? Oh, here we go. I, I saw Jared oh. unmuting. Oh. Well, <laughs> <Jared, laughs> we have the after mute. you, my brother. No, no, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's nothing wrong with that needing to have your dishes in a certain place. <laughs> <laughs> nothing at all wrong with that. I've been known, re known to rearrange the dishwasher. Yep. <laughs> well, the, dishwasher. the fact, the fact of the matter is, if you don't want to stack that dishwasher properly, it's going to prevent things from getting clean. I'm not talking about the dishwasher. I'm talking about my freaking cupboards. <laughs> oh, there too. You know, it's important for fit. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I always love, like, it, I understand where the author is going because when you are taught the lesson of the rough and the perfect Ashler, everyone, and I, I, I think, I always feel that people miss the point, at least that what I have always thought of as the point with this is that the perfect Ashler is the destination, but smoothing your rough Ashler is the journey that is supposed to be the important part. You're supposed to be taking those things about you that are rough and eliminating them. And it's not necessarily that you have to end up perfect. It's that you make the attempt to get there. So I, I understand how sometimes people take, take the lesson too far and figure that if, if they don't perfect themselves, they have failed when just the act of improving yourself is really all that is expected of you. I, I agree. I agree. There's the, the, was it, if you're 1% better today than you were yesterday by the, you know, that, that's improvement. And that's, that is a good thing. I, one of the things that really spoke to me uh, from this article was the, there's a couple, well, there's several things, like I said, but one of the things was the, uh, the, he talks about the story of Michelangelo uh, carving the, the angel out of the rough block of marble and that the, the perfection was always in there. And it's just our job to try and get closer to it, to, to letting it out. And, uh, I, like I just said, I, I like to think that I try and be better every day than I was before and try and reveal the good stuff that was in there. Maybe I need to go get some good stuff from somewhere else though, and pad on, <laughs> pad on to the Ashler. I'm not, I'm not sure how that would work, but. That was definitely a section I highlighted as well. And, but I also highlighted the section above it that said, it's hard to imagine that ever becoming even close to something beautiful. Sometimes the Ashler appears to be so rough that it's hard to imagine that beauty. And so I think sometimes we, you know, we talked about the self-loathing and the whole piling on of opinions of ourselves, but yeah, inside of us is that 
in theory, perfect bachelor somewhere. And as Jared said, it's the striving, the attempt to uh, 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 lots of public speakers talk about that. That's not the destination. It's the journey. It's the process that you go through. And so I, I would agree with all that. Was, yeah, you, you know, I just I just uh, met with a pros, uh, candidate um, for our lodger and had coffee with him for a couple hours yesterday, and we talked about uh, his reason for for joining, and and it was a lot to do with self improvement. He wanted to, you know, work on himself and and um, uh, be the best version of himself, right? And you know, I <laughs> having just read this, I I had told him. You know, not to be so hard on himself for, for, and not to think himself imperfect, but rather to look at the journey. It's a lifelong journey of lessons that will appear when the time is right for them to appear. Right? We all uh, are not ready to receive every lesson that's put forth in front of us when it's when it is actually put there. Right? Maybe years later before we're actually prepared to to learn these things, right? So um, being a bit of a perfectionist with, with one's self um, and the identifying whether or not they are um, a good person or, or, you know, whatnot, they shouldn't be so hard on themselves in judgment. And I, I, I was gonna say too, I think it's important to have goals. He talks about the section, well, when I can X or dot, 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 I'll be happy when this happens. And like, you know, so it's not so much while along that process, yeah, you need to have goals you need to have things that you're trying to do, but it shouldn't necessarily be tied to your happiness, right? You should be able to hopefully be happy. And, and through that process of enlightenment, anyway, he talks a lot about has his visitation to a lodge. He didn't really want to go one night and he went anyway. And so by being around the other Masons, it helped lift him up and be happy. And so and when my, when my grandma passed away several years ago, I didn't feel good at all. I didn't, I just wanted to go crawl in a hole. And I thought, no. And there was almost exactly the similar thing. It was a education program being happening that night. And I thought, oh, I need to go. I, sh I should go and be with my brothers. And I, I really didn't really want to be anywhere else. And after that was over, I thought, yeah, that was right. This was where I needed to be because I felt much better being around that. And so that is the part of enlightenment and being happy was being around my brothers and being around that because we're all there to help each other too. That's the important part. It's not just about us. It's about helping each other. And and then he, he talked about how he was able to kind of talk with his his brothers about the struggles he was having and they gave him some suggestions or whatever. And um, I, I think that's just as important as it's, it's social, but it's not social. It's not, you know, you still need to have that interaction, but it's not a social night, so to speak. You're not just imbibing and having fun, but it's still that interaction. Yep. The, no, the, the interaction with, with other good men is, is uh, let's fall in. I'm going to fall into all the, uh, the sayings that people use, but it's, it's the, whatever iron sharpening iron thing. It, there are other good people out there and you're with those good people and you get better through the process. 
that might not have been the right quote, but it was a, you know, the, the fact that you're, you're with other people who are striving in the same direction to striving to be better, striving to, to, to do well is, is a powerful thing for yourself. And having a support network of guys who, who are out there and, and are saying, you know, yeah, David, you know, let me, you know, talk to me. Let, what, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? And that's, man, is that important thing. Absolutely. You know, we've talked in the past too about the idea of charity, what what charity really means. And I was turned on to that. I'll, I'll say it by, uh, we've had a speaker on, Zane McCune. He did a, he does a, a presentation he does on charity and what the word charity means. And of course, the root word is agape. And I think we've talked about it before a few times. And so he ultimately comes down to what charity means, brotherly love and Freemasonry. It really translates to brotherly love. And so whenever I see the word or hear the word charity, automatically, just like you see for us, you see a trowel, you see a gavel, you see a square, whatever, we automatically kind of translate those into things. And so for me, the word agape translates to brotherly love. And so when I, he talked about, he quoted that section in Corinthians on brotherly love and or on charity, excuse me, <laughs> see, there I go. And so I just automatically put in brotherly love, suffereth long is kind. Brotherly love envieth not. Brotherly love faunteth off itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave un, you know, unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. And then I wrote, kind of like a puppy. <laughs> you know, when when you go into a room and it's like, hey, Jared, hey, Steve, hey, Ben, it's great to see you. You, you can't not be excited when you come home and your dog is all going crazy and having a good, you know, really great to see you. I remember the other morning, I don't know if they can hear me or not, but I, I, I was, I bring my girls to school every morning and you know, sometimes they're pretty tired. I'm tired. We're all tired. Getting out of the car, they kind of get out of the car and they go into school. It's no big deal. One morning I opened the, she opened the door and our, my daughter, Grace, I heard somebody from the crowd yell, Hey, Grace. And I thought, Oh, that's cool. It was neat to have somebody see who it was and be excited to see her. And I thought, and that's, that's. It relates back to this kind of stuff is that brotherly love is like that. We don't, it doesn't matter wh how things have been before. It's now, it's in the now. He talks about that too. It's, they can't change the past. The future is what it's going to be. It's the now. And so if we just constantly think about that, when we, when you see a brother walk through the door, Hey, it's great to see you. Or, or if you haven't never met somebody go up and meet him and talk to him and say, hi, introduce yourself. Glad to see you're here. Yeah, and I'll debate that, that. I'll debate that statement of his a little later when we get down to that part there, where whatever happens will happen. Because of, uh, I believe if you know about the law of attraction and you believe in it, then you can affect the uh, change and you can affect what happens. You know, it's not just a matter of what will be will be, um, and it, it's just the wrong mindset, right? Uh, there were several things before that part, though, that I thought were really worthy of talking to, you know, like every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it's the task of the sculptor, sculptor to discover it. And that's kind of, if you relate that to uh, a man's journey in Freemasonry, um, it, you know, he is his own set of astlers, and, and it will evolve as he... Um, grows and learns the lessons that are available to him. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you wanted to direct the, the conversation matter, if we, we can jump around. I, when, we, when we're talking about Ashlers, of course, I immediately went to the physical thing as well and not just to the 
the idea of the Ashler. And so I jumped over into Mackey's and wanted to learn more about the idea of the Ashler. And it relates very similar to that in that the Ashler is not, he talks about the rough Ashler and perfect Ashler is not between one man and another of generating snobbery and superiority, but it's like Steve said, between what a man is at one stage of his also self and what he is going to be at another stage. So just to clarify, I guess maybe we should have talked about what the Ashlers actually are. Matt, do you want to talk about that? We, for people that don't know what Ashlers are. Um, uh, uh, sure, I guess. <laughs> um, the, so in, in most Masonic lodges, at least around these parts, there's, there are two stones, literal stones in the lodge. Um, one of which is more or less vaguely cube shaped, which has you know stuff sticking out of it. Like if you sort of rough took a stone and said, "I ah, we could probably use this for a building." It's kind of like that. It's but it's um you couldn't just set another stone on top of it and call and start building. And then there's usually the that's the rough ashlar, and the perfect ashlar is one that's in a lot of cases is you know buffed to a high shine and uh, is is ready to be used for the for a building. And uh. I've always sort of wondered, I, I actually have my, my lodge's old ones from before the merger uh, are under my desk here because <laughs> they were, someone was going to get rid of them. I couldn't bear that. So they're, they're actually sitting under my desk here. I can kick them with my foot. Nice. But, but I've, it's, a, that's actually a really interesting perspective that you were talking about, David, from the, from Mackey's that the, the rough Ashler and the perfect Ashler are not two stones. They are one stone separated by time. And that's, I, I never really thought of it that way. That's pretty cool. Okay. I'm going to jump in here now. Because as soon as, I, as soon as I picked up this article, it reminded me of another article that I read a while back. And I'm going to throw in a little bit of history here. Did you know that the Perfect Asher wasn't originally one of the lodge furnishings? That some of the earliest catechisms actually don't discuss the rough and the perfect ashler. They fuck the rough ashler, and I'm going to butcher this, I'm sure, and a broached thernal, which is, oh, yeah. if you can imagine what our, our perfect ashler, but instead of being flat on top, it's pyramidal. And it's, it's a, so that, and that was, that was for, that was actually the entered apprentices uh, lesson to learn what they're supposed to make and um it's interesting that we no longer have that as part of our lodge furnishings yeah i, I was le reading about that definition too and i didn't quite understand at all and I, it kind of alluded that it was uh york right that york right expands upon that idea of the pyramid and the, the con more conic uh, pyramidical cube also they i know in i think i should say i know because i just read it but <laughs> the, that it talks in in york right it talks more about a cube with the pyramid than it does the what are the the cube bit the the uh, oblong element of what we consider not the ashler's oblong for building where they could they talk about that perfect ashler being a perfect square with a try with the pyramid on top, hmm. I guess that's again I don't know really, but my <laughs> understanding it's more the York Wright that has that right. idea because they talk about that being in the triple tau, the tau and the triple tau. Those symbols are in there. 
and I've seen some of that stuff. I just don't know a whole lot about it. So sorry, you're great guys. Uh, <laughs> but it's just interesting that that on some of the early mm -hmm. um, tracing boards that they have this broached thermal, which is it makes sense because you you quote Mackie, I quote Coil. I just prefer a more modern book. Modern being 1960s. But it's interesting because in it, he talks, I, I'm gonna, I gotta read this because it's interesting that he says, um, I just hit my mic. Uh, it is an error to suppose as some do that the principal work of the Freemasons was the making of square or pristine stones to be laid in walls. The peculiar and characteristic work of the Gothic artists was the building of round and curved arches, columns, flying buttresses, OGs, no idea what that is, carving and even sculpturing. The making of asters must have been left to apprentices. So it's it's interesting that like even if you go into our the encyclopedias and stuff like that, that the rough like we don't the perfect aster isn't it, it's a symbol that is not necessarily, although as I've said earlier, it's to strive for, it's not necessarily the end goal. You know, and I think I think that causes so many new masons grief in that they figure that you know oh i've got to improve myself i've got to become perfect and just the fact that you realize that you're not perfect means that you are a good person exactly you know i've often wondered too and this is kind of getting off topic but the the tools we are given as masons to work so we're, we they point out the rough ashlar and the perfect ashlar during the during the first degree Right. Yeah. First degree. <laughs> and the, um, and they, the, you are given the, the, um, gavel to divest yourself, your hearts and minds of the vices and superfluities and all that sort of good stuff. And therefore trans helping to transform yourself from this rough ashler to the perfect ashler. But the, the stones, at least in, in our lot, in the lodges I've been to are like, like I said earlier, the, the one in, in Robert Burns lodge, it literally was polished to a high shine. Like you could you know, see your face in it. How are you going to do that with a hammer? <laughs> <laughs> even in some jurisdictions, the, I guess some jurisdictions have a chisel. So even if you have a hammer and a chisel, you're not getting that stone out of this process. You know, you might get closer, I suppose, but that ain't going to happen. The, oh, go well, ahead, and it, it, it kind of talking to what Jared was talking about earlier, the idea of what was used before Again, according to Mackey's, they talked about that what we consider the perfect ashler versus the rough ashler is different than what was then in the past. Uh, from th they call it the, or is it the perpend ashler was what we would consider the the per the perfect ashler because it was polished on the ends. So it could be on the surface of a wall, but the rough asher was not formless mass of rock. It was a stone ready to use. No surface of which would appear in the building walls. It was unfinished in the sense of unpolished. So our rough ashlers in our lodges, at least in mine, probably wouldn't be considered the rough ashler from the origin. It's a little too rough because <laughs> that wouldn't be able to be used. But what I what I found was even more interesting was the next sentence that is it in other records of which only a few have been found. A perpend ashlar was of stone cut with a key in it, so it's to interlock with a second stone correspondingly. 
kind of like what Jared was talking about with the archway that, you know, the, the keystone, again, this is York Wright stuff, right? The little bit I know <laughs> that was, that was one of the elements to become a master. You had to be able to carve the keystone and to be able to have the interlocking stone. But what I wrote down was the five points of fellowship. Could that be an interpretation of an interlocking stone? The two, two Ashlers joining together in a unique format to in a corresponding format? Hmm, the inquisitive looks on the faces that people can't wow. see on Spotify. <laughs> Five points of fellowship as they're used in our ritual are, are specific to the passing of a word. So I'm not sure about down south with you guys. So oh yeah, it, it's the same. I just I just when I when I when I read that that it, it, the, the it was a stone cut out of key, so as to interlock with a second stone. I thought where does where do we have that in our other than York Wright? But York Wright, it's like Scottish Wright and everything else has come out of masonry. It's not it, York Wright necessarily wasn't first, was it? No. Well, okay. The the Royal Arch. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, there's a debate as to whether or not the Royal Arch was part of the Master Mason degree and as to whether or not it was a piece of the Master Mason degree or if it was actual ritual in the Master Mason degree. So that does come out of Freemasonry. As to the rest of York Rite, I don't know exactly where the history of its ritual. You mean the, the three degrees of Masonry, the Entered Apprentice, Fellowcraft, Master Mason, and the York Rite? Or was it? In the, isn't that? <laughs> well, because originally there were only two degrees. Exactly. I was just going to say that. Yeah. And so, I mean, but yeah. Master, the, a, the Master Mason degree is a, is a what was the word? The innovation thank you thank you well, <laughs> innovation it's, 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 yeah there there's debate as to whether or not whether it it the it, the master mason degree as we know it today is actually just they took part of the set what we would consider the second degree and split it off because originally in in masonic lodges you had apprentices you had fellow crafts and then you had the master of the lodge so where we all of us which is why and then you got and in order to be a master of the lodge you had to know all the ritual and tools and stuff and i'm trying to remember correctly and i think that's where the your the royal arch comes into as it used to be part of becoming master of your lodge um but and I, isn't, isn't that where the past master's degree comes from we call it secrets of the chair i don't know don't, don't you have you have something up there that's automatic after after the well, you, you automatically degree. become you become the immediate past masters. You, but we have the board of installed masters for a new master. So if you've never sat in the east before, there's actual we have we convene a board of installed masters. Yeah, sitting down there. Well, we call it the past masters degree, secrets of oh, the chair. Okay. Yeah, we just just had it last week. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, same same stuff. Probably not, but. <laughs> I mean, it would be really fascinating to see how yours operates because it's probably way cooler than ours. Of course <laughs> it is. It's ours. <laughs> I mean, the guy that does the guy, the local guy that does ours is it's it's a it's a lot to memorize, and he knows it all. It's he's got one of those got memories, but he's been doing it for thirty years or something, just crazy long time. It's fun. It's a it's just a fun night of fellowship. It's really not 
too serious. Oh, it's not done as it's is it done it's not done as part of your installation? Oh no. Oh, ours is done as part of our installation. Like anyone who's not a past master gets kicked out of the lodge if we do this. So do you are your installation now we're way off topic. Sorry, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> are, are your installations all closed, ceremony? Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, see, yeah. we have open installations. Oh, okay. sorry. God. I didn't mean to hit that button, Jared. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, they talked about it up here, but yeah, it ain't happening. They almost came out with a version of it to deal with COVID, but they didn't allow it in the end. Interesting. Well, so dare I steer us back? I mean, to we have back to getting back on topic. This is part of the topic is we're smoothing off our lack of knowledge of things to make ourselves better Freemasons. So we shouldn't we shouldn't feel bad because we don't know what we don't know. We should feel good that we are inquiring about the stuff we don't know. There you go. A little bit of a dose of self-loathing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, right, I, so get, this is getting back on the topic, right? You know, the paper that we were supposed to, you know, discuss. The um, uh, on the last page, where we go is is the the only point in time that matters to any of us is right now, this very moment, this very breath. I don't know. To me, the uh only the, the, there's not just that only point in time matters I, there's so many more points in time that matter than just right now i think about the future a lot and i you know because i'm a uh, second time married i think about the things that i'm saying a lot before i say them so i it's not a matter of this moment in time it's a matter of the you know what's coming right and it, it's all important so I, I don't know. I, I questioned a lot of this guy's statements. I, you know, I, I agree and I disagree, but I think that is going to be a big topic for us to discuss and we're running uh, short on this episode. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to um, pick it up there at our next episode. Uh, so please, all of you on behalf of Jared and Steve and David and myself, uh, thank you all for listening. And we look forward to talking to you again on next week's Working Tools podcast, where we'll have part two of our discussion of this article. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>